0: This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how you can escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show for high-earning, busy professionals, where we will teach you how to invest in real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is CJ Collio. CJ is a successful, full-time real estate investor who started as a UPS driver with a dream. A dream to achieve financial independence, and he did exactly that. In about five years, he achieved financial independence through real estate, through grit, determination, hustle, networking, mindset, and so much more. Today, we're learning about his story, how he got started, mistakes that he made along the way, how his wife encouraged him and pushed him forward, how he didn't listen right at the beginning. We'll talk about that how he eventually came around, realized she was right, and just went on to achieve really big things. If you're out there, you're dreaming of achieving financial independence, CJ is a guy who did exactly that, and he will teach you how he got it done. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million. Of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially partnering with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, once again, our guest is CJ Collio. Let's go. CJ, thanks so much for joining us today. Let's talk about financial freedom through real estate investing. Before we get to how you achieved that, Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background, then we'll go through your history in real estate?
1: Yeah, sure, Taylor. I mean, like we were sharing off off mic before the recording, um, I'm born and raised in Hawaii, and that's where I grew up. And uh, it's a very high cost of living state, right? So early on, I was raised to look for a good paying profession, whether through school or not, and, and make good income, prepare to work two or three jobs to make it by. Um, and I expect to do that till I retire. And, and strange enough, that's what I did. So shortly out of high school, um, I got into UPS. Uh, it was a good part-time job that assisted me as I figured out where I wanted to be in career. And well, I chose to stay with it. I became the youngest UPS driver at the time at 21, built my career with them, loved the position, You know, had kids, got married, had kids, got married, had kids, and found that we were living a very comfortable lifestyle considering that you know hawaii is a very expensive place to live and i was satisfied where i was at and it's funny when you you, you're satisfied it's good until it's not and there's this one particular year i remember and for us ups drivers or the the listeners that may know we're that guy that dons the brown santa suit during that time of year delivering all your amazons and and gifts and packages and so forth making sure you get it before christmas um up until this point that christmas was fun I got to be that Santa Claus. I got to entertain and have time um, meaning and developing relationships with customers and providing good service. And this one Christmas really changed my whole perspective on everything. Um, I call it the Christmas from hell. And we weren't prepared. We were understaffed. We had way more deliveries and packages than expected. Um, and any Christmas that I worked prior would have never prepared me for what I faced that year. And what it looked like is I was working seven days a week, 12, 13, 14 hour days. I was coming home, my kids and my wife were sleeping, I was leaving and they were already gone. So there's this constant missing of them for about 6 months and it just infuriated me. It just made me so upset. You know, the the money was good and it wasn't good enough. You know, something was missing and the the thing I pointed to was I didn't have the connection or relationship that I feel Christmas is all about, right? It's about spending time with the loved ones and appreciating and being grateful for and I was missing that. So that Christmas spent six months of my career just in anger and, and resentment towards the company and, and what was going on, and I wanted a change. And the cool thing was is when things started to subside, I was able to actually have a conversation with my wife after six months, and I basically said, look, I am not willing to retire here 30, 40 more years. It's not in my, in my book. I want to rewrite my story. Can I quit? And she's like, yes. However, I got one question for you. are you gonna replace your income first off i wasn't expecting her to even say yes let alone you know ask me that question about how what's my solution to to following up with the um replacing the income so she caught me off guard and i'm like i don't have a clue i'm still upset i'm still caught up in emotion i wasn't thinking clearly i just knew i wanted out and she's like well what about we do this real estate thing i'm like real estate so immediately I went through shock and grateful I have a supporting wife to resistant because she said real estate. And the big thing was is I, I didn't have any knowledge, any background, any trade experience or any family members that did real estate at all. So it, it, was, it was foreign to me. And instantly I went to blocking off my biggest supporter, the one that said yes. I said, you know what? You go figure out real estate. Let me go and find ways to replace my income basically create my own um, flow of income and startups and all the whole nine yards of business creation, which is what I did. I went into that for six to nine months. And I'm sure like, you know, and your listeners know, startups, most of them don't make it. And I'm I'm that story, you know, seven, eight, nine startups later, all failed, um, didn't produce income, actually took income away because it costs money to start these up. And I was more exhausted, more frustrated, more angry in my situation because I was failing. I got to a point where I humbled myself because my wife throughout this whole period was still on real estate. Like she was hooked. She was laser focused in on it. So I was like, you know what? She's got something here. I don't understand it. Maybe I should actually be on board with this with her. So reluctantly, I went to one of her REI meetups she invented, uh, invited me to as that resistant, defensive husband in the background. Don't talk to me. I'm just here to support. And that was me. That was that guy in the back. You couldn't approach me. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to share anything because I felt, I felt stupid, to be honest. Now that I look back, newbie mentality, that beginner's mind made, allowed me to, to, to put up a wall which didn't serve me or serve my purpose of wanting to learn more about real estate. The weird thing is I went to more of them after that. And the more I went to these meetups, the more people I met like you, Taylor, and, and, and hearing their stories of success and failures and obstacles overcome, I started to believe it. You know, I was like, man, these guys are real. They're not just telling me about their successes. They're telling me about their failures, too. So they're, they're not just showing the best part of it. There's the ugly side, too. And I became more engaged. I started connecting with people, started networking, started supporting my wife even more to the point where we found that, okay, buy and hold rental properties for cash flow is the strategy we want. Why? Because it solves our immediate problem, which is replacing that income. And that's what we did. After a few meetups, we got references to markets in the Midwest to go and look into turnkey. Um, After doing some research, we pulled the trigger on our first and then the journey began. We set it and watched it closely, largely to the fear of we don't know what we don't know. We don't have experience in this. So let's make sure we bought a real property that the tenants real paying cash flows coming in. And that's what we did. And from there, it sparked the fire to growing our portfolio to a large amount of doors where we both were able to leave our jobs in five years and sustain an without reducing our lifestyle by any means, be able to sustain the same lifestyle largely in part to our our portfolio created.
0: That is awesome. Very inspiring. So you were living in Hawaii at the time. Spoiler alert, you're not in Hawaii, currently moved away, but the difficulty of buying cash flowing properties in a very expensive area like most of Hawaii is that it's hard to produce cash flow, need a lot of money to do it. So you began investing remotely. But as far as Selecting markets, sounds like you got recommendations, but how deep did you go in terms of investigating those areas where you ultimately decided to invest? That's
1: a great question. And knowing what we know now, we did little to no research. We did a lot of trusting because these people were doing it too, right? So we had no clue. We didn't know where to start. We got a bunch of referrals a uh, few people were saying they're buying from here. They shared with us their experience. We kind of looked to make sure that they were a real company, that we could find them on Google in a sense. And we reached out and, and made a purchase. And that's kind of where we started our our journey. Looking from where I'm at today, that wouldn't fly in any transaction. Just by, hey, Taylor said go buy here. Okay. And go buy. No, I would I would dive in a whole lot more. And
0: you don't know what you don't know when you first start. So, 5 years to achieve freedom through cash flow. Did you have that time frame in mind? What did that, I mean, I'm sure your time frame was as soon as humanly possible, but did you believe that 5 years was possible right when you got started? I mean, that's a relatively quick trajectory. A lot of people don't get it done that quickly.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a very common question and when we looked back on this, when me and my wife were just discussing this the other day, we first started creating visions before we even bought our first rental property because if you don't have a target, what are you aiming at kind of a concept? We had a 10-year vision at the time and we pulled it up and our 10-year vision said we wanted 10 properties, so one a year. That was our goal initially. And, and, and 10 would give me the option to start scaling back my hours. Really, the goal was to get out of UPS in 20 years, which was 15 years less than my retirement age at the time. So it was a 20-year initial projected goal that through massive action, you know, learning along the way, um, being able to be resilient in times of opportunity and, and, and obstacles really got us down to, to five years. And honestly, now that I look back, I think I could have done it sooner if I knew what I knew now.
0: <laughs> nice. So what I've found is that successful real estate investors think about, time and money differently from those who aren't successful. They think about those things very differently. How has your mindset shifted in terms of how you think about money and working with others, using money as a tool to get deals done? What's your mindset like now?
1: Yeah, I mean, now it's all about leverage. What What's going to get me the results sooner? And even if it costs me a little bit more capital or money up front, if I'm getting to that ultimate goal, the thing that I say I want the most, is it worth the investment? So what what shifted for my mindset at some point in our growth was understanding that there's a cost to everything, right? And is my time more valuable versus the money I could save, Right and making that determination decisive decision quickly af- allows me to step into
0: opportunity faster which then moves me along quicker towards my my vision and goals at the time when you were first getting started you know sounds like you didn't leave ups you didn't burn the ships and get out which i think is you know a smart move to be honest with you but there's still the the time aspect of finding opportunities even even if you're investing in turnkey's i mean still have to do that look at the deals make offers everything like that Plus, you had the difficulty of a probably five-hour time difference, depending on what part of the Midwest you were investing in. How did you balance the needs of, just from a time perspective, of getting these deals done, your work, your family, you know, yeah. everything involved?
1: Yeah, it's a very common question. It's a very good question. What we chose to do is to focus in on what our utmost priorities were the thing is my wife likes to say it a lot what you say when you say yes to one thing you're saying no to everything else so you get to acknowledge this is a a non-negotiable this is a priority and, and unless this happens nothing else matters kind of a thinking so with with work being the way it was i didn't have steady hours it was you start at this time you finish whenever you finish and sometimes that was midnight and i got to prioritize getting deals done making offers calling team members looking into funding or whatever I may need next, even if it costs me sleep, even if it costs me opportunity to to work a a side job or whatever that may look like, or even spend time with the kids and the wife, knowing it's an investment and I'm choosing to invest in, expecting a return far greater than what I'm paying right now. Once I started shifting that to the priority to this is an investment, is it going to produce a return? I was very selective on what I did, more intentional. I would call it versus being sporadic and, and go with the flow type of a, a, a strategy.
0: So how did your investment strategy change over time as you grew your portfolio, learned more about real estate investing? Did you continue buying the turnkey properties or did you look to take you know more of the reins in your own hands and start sourcing your own deals on the market?
1: Yeah, so the funny thing is, is we stuck with turnkey far beyond one. I, I believe we went to five or six stores, something like that. Don't quite recall the exact number. And the large part was is because we had capital available at our disposal, right? Good paying professions. We had money that we're able to invest in. Um, and that money runs out quickly. Strangely enough, you think you got a lot. And then when you start putting 25% down and it doesn't get returned to you because that's your down payment, you got to wait till you do something with it or realize it through cash flow, your money runs dry. That well runs dry quick. Um, So at a point where we hit five or six doors, not only did we run off our own capital, we got turned away from traditional lending. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't qualify us. Our DTI was too high. Our debt to income did not serve us anymore, which disqualified us from traditional mortgages. We got to pivot. And when I pivoted, I found um, networking in Hawaii is a very powerful thing because, it, like you said, it's not necessarily a cash flow market. It's a very high appreciation, uh, volatile market where flippers like to play. And in the flipping world, they like to use other people's money, OPM or private money. And being in that space really turned me on to how do I take what works for them there in my market? Because it, it, it's got to be able to transition market to market. It doesn't really matter. It's about the capital and using it. Honing in on the skill set, learning how to network, learning how to present opportunity around um, raising private money really served us to go from that perceivable um, roadblock of no mortgages to amassing a large portfolio. We were able to leverage that and work on a strategy that we really fell in love with, which is the burst strategy. And for those that don't know, it's buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. It's a strategy where it allows you to take limited capital and in theory when done well you're able to pull out all your money and rinse and repeat it over and
0: over and over again so burst strategy great i found that a lot of folks who work with the burst strategy even though you know touting its benefits and everything sometimes particularly in those early deals they might not get the numbers quite right maybe they underestimate the repairs or you know just end up spending too much on that the refi doesn't pull out all their capital there's some hitch in there that yeah. comes up. Did you have anything like that that happened? Absolutely. It happens all the time. It still happens. There's just so
1: much in what we do that we don't control. Some, we like to say in our space, control what you can control. Let like go of the rest. So what do you control in the burst strategy? And focus your energy in that. Because like in anything in real estate related, interest rates, market movement, um, team members. These are all external factors that you have uh, ability to to leverage and use. However, you don't control or dictate how that's going to turn out. I'm not the person in the Fed that can say, "Hey, we're going to lower rates." I get to work with what's given to me, right? And um, one of the things that I, I live by is I got to be in Robert Kiyosaki's space for a few hours one day in Hawaii, being a part of a very exclusive group, and I got to talk to him, and he he gave me this pointer. He's like. Here's the three things you would, you would want to focus in on to be successful is what are the rules, who's on your team, and how do I win? And just being flexible with taking those three things and knowing what in those three things do you control and what you don't, let it go. Because that's occupying, taking energy away from what could be moving you forward versus staying stuck, right? I, I hope that makes sense, but that's, that's what, I, what I like to reference to a lot is what do I control? If I focus in on that and make that a priority,
0: everything else will fall into place. So that's very interesting. What are the rules? Who's on your team? And how do I win? I love those questions. I'm going to have to write them down on my wall or something so that I'm constantly looking at them. In your case, when he told you that, what was your reaction? Did you think about who's on my team? I need another team member. Like, What action did you take by you know learning that rubric from him?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing I I looked at was rules. What are my rules? So DTI is too high. I don't get traditional lending. What do I do now? What are options? Because he told me that just because I don't see it doesn't mean opportunity isn't there. Opportunity is everywhere. Deals are still being done, whether you have financing or not. How do you get to be that person that knows you can create the opportunity? And, And for me, the rules were if I can control it, if I can create it, then I have uh, a more confidence level, I can make it work. And that's where I shifted to private money, Uh, who's on my team. I got to work around agents constantly because agents come and go, right? I mean, you're a small time investor, like I was at the time, moving one or two deals a year, isn't gonna pay them much. And they're not gonna stay loyal to because they got bills to pay too, so I can respect that. So knowing who's on my team or how many team members I need. So for me at that time, I needed 10 agents to move on a couple deals a month just purely because one or two wouldn't give me the time of day or they weren't available or they were working other transactions. And it's not because they chose not to. I got to see it from their perspective. They got bills to pay. And if I'm not moving and closing on deals, I'm not going to fault them for working with other investors or other buyers. I get to be so good that they can't ignore me, which is my goal. So that's where I focus back on me for who's on my team. Uh, contractors, contractors are part of the birth strategy for the rehab. And when I, when you think about it, and I think about it a lot now, when you first start off, it's really challenging to get a contractor to be loyal to you because you're only moving a product or two a year. Again, back to them being paid. If I, if they're not getting the income, do you fault them to want to go and work with other people? Which means. You're now slightly conflicting with their schedule because they may have other investors closing on deals at the same time. That makes them not available for your deal. So you get to go back to networking and growing your team. And how do I win? Well, if refi is my process and I'm not qualified, what do I structure my exit? How do I structure my exit to pull out capital? And one of the things that surfaced that I, I, I get a lot of questions around is lines of credit how do I get a line of credit on investment property? And I found out way later on that that's something I'm able to tap into too. When you have the right team members, you you know the right rules and you're in the right market.
0: Wow. Okay. So on that refinance to pull out your capital at the very end, once you had capped out your loans at five or six, what you know action did you take to get that longer term loan to refi out? You want to take a line of credit against your property, maybe to fund rehabs, but you probably want a longer term loan on the property once you're, you know, pulling once you're done with the rehab and pulling out your capital. Right. So what did you do?
1: I I a lot a lot of our portfolio was hinged around structuring private money for a longer period, making them my bank. Right. Because uh, some investors, they get the return. They're like, great. When's the next one? I'm like next one, I could keep you in this one and I'll just pull you out five years. Are you good with that? which gives me time, gives me time to reposition the asset, gives me time to uh, realize the, the the value that I may be short initially, like you were saying, right? People may miss the target on their first few because they, they're new at it. It's really hard to expect you to pick this up and run with it right off the bat and be successful on every deal. That's not real. You're going to have shortfalls and you're going to have huge successes on others. They usually balance out if you do enough deals. And for me, it was just making that work whatever way it needed to because i knew and it goes back to the priority of exiting ups that was my ultimate goal well how i created the results on every deal didn't really matter too much as long as i got to that goal because from there knowing once i reached there i can play with all this and rearrange it as much as i want because as long as i know what are the rules who's on my team and how do i win i can be successful at this so just taking those three things from robert man it just
0: Took me off in a new direction. Wow! So it strikes me that your why was so powerful, it was powerful enough to push you through areas where other folks might have gotten stuck, including things like the unknown unknowns of buying a property that's a third of the way around the world that you're, you know, you know, needs some work. You're going to fix it up. You haven't seen it in person. You might never see it in person. But how do you know? really what's wrong with it and what it's going to cost to fix up and everything like that how did you kind of address that concern did you have that concern and what did you do to really work through it
1: it may sound silly and my answer is going to be take massive action i i got to create result after result after result so when i'm working with newer investors um I have a tendency to reference baseball, even though I'm not a baseball fan or know it too well. I know the basics, right? You're going to swing. And what I know from what I've researched is that Hall of Fame hitters average like 350 batting average, which means three out of 10 pitches, they hit a ball. That's the burr. But when they hit the ball, they get on base. When they hit the ball, they have a chance for a home run. The analogy is is you want to just be swinging. And over time, you're gonna adjust your swing because you start to see things you didn't before because you're learning. Experiential learning is a must in real estate in my opinion because if you ain't doing anything, how do you know any of this in your head is real? And that's where I see a lot of people talk themselves out or create fear, I'm also guilty of that. In the beginning, part of my story was I didn't know anything so I chose to block everybody off. But the moment I started opening it up and swinging that bad at the networking events, I created network, I created relationship, I created opportunity, and then it challenged me to go and do something with it. Because just because I hit the ball doesn't mean I'm running the first base. I get to choose to run the first base, and then second, then third, then home, and then now I get to repeat the process all over again. So at the end of the day, my strategy was just to do. Do as many as I could, create as many as I, results as I can so I can now filter through what's working, what didn't, and what I can adjust moving forward.
0: Okay so I would imagine that you know more nuts and bolts wise in the process of buying a potentially distressed property in another market you mentioned team you know you probably got a team member in the market to go look at the property take some pictures for you something like that is that is that right i mean was that the like solution to that specific problem
1: it was and i still got to choose to do the deal so the thing is is in the beginning like you were saying, I had a lot of fear around the unknown, so I chose to back out of deals. Well, the thing about backing out of deals is team members start to lose faith in you. So I got to get real with myself. At some point, I got to pull the trigger on something. I got to get them paid, I got to show them that I'm I'm a real investor, I'm not gonna just say it, I'm gonna show it to you. And by, th- by the action, they would start to give me feedback on, hey, you know what, you're right, maybe this deal might be too high, so let's come in at a lower number. They would start giving me gems, because they're the experts. And I get to rely on them and, and their feedback to a certain extent, knowing that if I fail, they may not have a new a, a repeat buyer, right? An agent sells me a bad deal. They may make one commission, but that's it. I'm not going to be back because I get to work on recouping what I, I just spent or invested in this deal that isn't coming back to me right away.
0: Okay. So before we go to the three, three questions I ask every guest on the show, let's imagine that we're speaking to CJ. Back in the day, he's still in the truck, right? I'm sure we have listeners out there right now listening to us on their drive to work. You know, we have somebody that's maybe in the truck right now listening, fantasizing about reaching the freedom that you have. What advice would you give to yourself back in 2015 or even 2014 before you started thinking about this to accelerate your progress or to make sure that you got there? Yeah, that
1: reflecting on that a lot um my first thought is i would seek and find value in a mentor um, somebody who is doing what I want to do and has what I want to have and if the answer if I'm able to answer yes to both of those questions my early Cj would find value and invest in a mentor because they're there to take you through and guide you through and show you shortcuts and a, a lot of avoid a lot of the the early on pitfalls that divert people from end up staying with it long enough to create a result you know so for me it's Get, get involved with somebody who can lead and guide you, whether it's a paid mentor or a free, whatever it looks like, find that person that's doing what you want to do and has what you want to have.
0: And probably actually take their advice because the advice you get, if you don't implement it, then there's no value in it, right? Exactly. Be coachable. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Did you know that you can use your IRA to invest in real estate? Many real estate investors, myself included, use our self-directed retirement accounts to invest our retirement in real estate. You just need a custodian that allows you to self-direct your investments. That's why we've partnered with Rocket Dollar. Rocket Dollar is a technology-enabled self-directed IRA and solo 401k provider that puts your retirement funds in your control. Our listeners can open a Rocket Dollar self-directed IRA for as little as fifteen dollars per month plus a one-time setup fee. Just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash Rocket or click the link in the show notes. They have a fantastic knowledge base and a lot of guides to help you through the process and teach you all about how self-directed retirement account investing works. Once again, just go to passivewealthstrategy.com/slash rocket or click the link in the show notes. All right, CJ, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great, first one, what is the best deal you've ever done or the best investment you've ever made other than in your education? Ah, that's a good question. The first thing that comes to mind is I got two duplexes from an
1: off-market transaction that I originally found on Facebook. And the strange thing about this is it's from a wholesaler, so somebody that's not an agent but has a deal under contract direct to seller. Um, And at the time, I was like, this guy is way overpriced. There's not enough meat on the bone for my strategy, for the burr I needed at this price. And I gave him my offer and, and told him, here's my feedback on why. I brought up statistics. I brought up ARV and comps and rent and rehab costs. I gave him the whole nine yards. He laughed in my face, right? Obviously, he thought I was crazy. He could obviously sell it. Well, strangely enough, I think it was four or five months later, I saw it on market still. And then I got a strange call from him. Like right after seeing it on Facebook, it's weird, you know, Facebook kind of knows you, right? He called me right after this saying, hey, is your offer still valid? Well, long story short is he went in and out of escrow several times. He went beyond extension, beyond extension, hoping he'd close. And he had a large sum of money tied up as his earnest money down and no buyers in sight. My number was his contract price. He was willing to walk away, no no profit made, purely to save his EMD and show the sellers that, you know what, this was a crap deal in the beginning. I made mistakes and I got to sell it for you anyway. I ended up taking that deal and both duplexes appraised far higher than I expected. And I put in little to no money. I actually took out a whole chunk, which then gave me the fuel and the fire. Back to the home run analogy, right? This was my home run. This was my grand slam. I was able to take out well over six figures from both and now move into more and better deals. And um, the cool thing about it is by me being real, me staying to my numbers, he became loyal to us for a few years before he decided to move market. And I did several deals with him later. I think we did over 12 deals over the next couple of years. Um, and we, we became really close. And he respected me because I didn't waver for my number. I was willing to help him in a time of need. And it really served me because I was able to pull out far more than I invested and some.
0: Nice. I love that. So we had the best. Now we go to the worst. What is the worst deal or the worst investment you've ever made? Oh, This still gives me
1: um, second turnkey property. First turnkey worked out fine. Second, not so much. And a large part is is I didn't verify any of the information like I was sharing with you um, before, Taylor, that uh, I took a lot of trust into to this. And I chose not to look into it further. So this new turnkey company we found, we bought it. Uh, the, the clues were, is it was $400 over market rent. right? It, it, in my head, I'm like, yes, more cash flow for my goal quicker, not thinking that that could be a red flag. And it was, uh, I waived all inspections, which oh. is another, another big thing I learned later. Yeah. Um, but we closed. We closed because we wanted the next deal. We wanted to do it. The first one worked. Let's do the second. Found out week one in got got a new property manager in it was a homeless guy that was willing to forge a lease largely in part it was winter he didn't want to live out in the cold for a month knowing that he could squat not pay whatever it's rented for he wasn't going to pay anyway he'd signed his name and we ended up having to do an eviction right off the bat from a turnkey provider and the fact that it waived inspections i found out that the sewer line was never connected it was a cesspool in the crawl space. Um, the homeless, uh, gentleman tore up our property. So what was decently done became rubbish. Uh, so we had like a $30,000 repair bid right after dropping about 30 grand into the down payment. And that by far was our worst deal.
0: Wow. So did the turnkey provider offer any form of warranty on that? I mean, oftentimes they do, but not all. They of them. disappeared. Man, that's a rough yeah. one. A lot of folks, a lot of folks would have quit after that second deal. honestly. Yeah. Yeah, my my
1: um my goal, my vision, my why was was too strong to allow me to it was an investment. Like I said, hanging with the right people, seeing that failure happens every now and then to everybody, redefining what failure means, that this is tuition towards a better future really served me in moving forward. Wow,
0: I love it. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Trust but verify.
1: That's a big thing. So no matter if it's me or you or anybody that you find respect from, when they say do something, don't just simply do it because they said it. Take ownership over it, researches, do your due diligence, and make sure you're able to sign off on your own. That way you can come from a space that I chose. Extreme Ownership is one of my favorite things that I, I implement in what I do. Jocko and Leaf are very... uh loud in my ears from my audible books of extreme ownership it's really starting with i because nobody's making anybody do any of this you choose and once you take ownership over that you have the power to change everything in your life
0: this has been the passive wealth strategy show with today's guest cj callio if you'd like to reach out to cj you can find him at wnnproperties.com he has a lot of trainings and content out there to teach you how to use the Burr strategy to acquire properties in today's market. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I want to thank you for joining us here today. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and catch us here every weekday. And furthermore, I'd really appreciate if you could take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people learn about the show, helps our reach and helps grow the real estate investing community generally. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you're having an awesome Black Friday. Have a safe travel weekend back to your home if you traveled for the holidays. And we will catch you back here on Monday. Take care.